lack of a better way of saying it, being prepared for the Antichrist. And I'm not talking specifically today about the, the big one and only, okay? I, 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 I want to lay out some principles today that we will see that is in our society, in our world today, going on, and how we can recognize those things, see what the motivation behind those things are, and then see how to uh, deal with it within our lives. Uh, probably a better way of putting it is being prepared for the spirit of the Antichrist because there's a spirit behind it. All right, so uh, I want us to be prepared in that. First John chapter 2 is where we're at, and it's a passage of Scripture that probably many of you have heard from or read before, but you can, we can read it from verse 18 today. Come on in, Kenny. <laughs> Sorry. You were looking so timidly like, do I come in? Yes, come in. 18. Little children, it is the last hour. As you have heard that the Antichrist will come, even now there are many Antichrists. By this we know that it is the last hour. They went out from on us, or from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would no doubt have remained with us. But they went out revealing that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have written to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? Whoever denies the Father and the Son is the Antichrist. I bring this up today because even in that time when this was written, he says the, this is the last hour. How many know that we are many years beyond that as far as physical time is concerned? The emphasis of that is not so much whether it's the last hour or last season, but it is talking about the, the criticalness of the season, that there is a closing or a climaxing of time at hand. Now, we know the Bible says, God says that a day is like what? A thousand years, a thousand years is like a day. So sometimes we can look at this and say, well, this was written 2,000 years ago. It can may seem like, well, it's taking forever. But understand that in God's eyes, it's like two days, right? And, and understand in the, in the time of eternity, when you look at the, at the space of eternity, it's just but a blink of an eye. Okay, so we know that today we are living in the last times and in the last days. Because if they were living in it, how much more are we living in it today? And one distinguishing feature of the last time is that many antichrists would be arising, not just one. There will be one who arises above all else. There will be an antichrist who rises up and will be the, the, what we would look at as the one. But the feature of this last day says that there will be many antichrists. Now let me just define for you this morning the, the definition of antichrist. And the first word is that little four-letter word, anti. And I know that you probably all understand it, but let me just, you know, just humor me this morning and just listen for a moment. Anti means you can basically get four kind of ideas or definitions, first one being against. The, the Christ who is against the real Christ. The next one is in place of. 
This antichrist comes in place of or someone who usurps his authority and takes the place of the real one by seizing the, uh, that, uh, that position. Another one is an op opponent of or someone who opposes against. And the fourth one is an adversary too. These are all the characteristics or the, these are the defining kind of characteristics of who the Antichrist will be. He is against, he will take the place of, he will be an opponent of, and he will be an adversary to the real Christ. When you talk about Christ, we're talking about the word, the anointed one. That's what Christ means, the anointed one. Do you know as Christians, you are being called what? You are like unto the anointed one. That's how we're to walk, by the way. As Christians, we're to walk like as unto the anointed one. And we can say that because the Holy Spirit, Christ's Spirit, lives inside of us. But this Antichrist will come and he will be one who takes the place or tries to take the place of the anointed one, the Messiah, the king and the priest. And so two main actions of the Antichrist will be to stand up against or oppose and be an adversary to Christ and also to take the place of the true Christ. That's pretty basic. We all get those sorts of things. But what we begin to see in this passage of Scripture is that there are kind of three forms the Antichrist will take. Well, not, not so much out of it, but through the Scripture. First, we know about, like I say, the one who is going to stand up at the end of the time and he'll be the Antichrist. This is the, that specific person, the, the Revelation 13.1, who's called the, the beast, okay? In Second Thessalonians, the son of perdition, or the son of destruction, or waste, or the man of sin. And that's, when we think of Antichrist, that's who we tend to think of. We think of this one person. But here in, 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 in John, he talks about there's going to be many Antichrists. A series of historical individuals. And we know of that because we can see in our world, even today, the different cults and the different leaders and the different things that are coming against uh, the church and even the, 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 the different beliefs that we see outside of, of Christianity. We know that, that that is true and that has been part of our history. And there's also the spirit of Antichrist who operates in the world. Now, it doesn't say it in here, but if you go to 1 John chapter 4, it says there in verses 2 to 3, this is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and is already, think about what he says, and is already in the world. So that spirit was present. It's not just that it's come to our world today. That spirit was present in the world even at the time when John wrote these things. And now, you know, I say that because sometimes as Christians we're surprised by the things that happen in our world. Sometimes we're surprised by the activities that take place in our world. 
Sometimes we're surprised by the beliefs that people have in our world. And I'm, I'm and you know, yes, in, in one sense, in my natural mind, I look at it and say, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But when I look at things like this, I just like, why am I surprised? It was there 2,000 years ago. It was there previous to that time. So, of course, it's going to be there today. But it's interesting, he says the spirit of Antichrist, the test, is every spirit that confesses Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Everyone that does not confess that Jesus Christ has, has come in the flesh is not from God. Now there's a, there's a little bit of a, you, you have to, a little bit of a nuance there that you have to grab hold of, and that is Jesus Christ. There is a lot of people a lot of religions. There's a lot of even, you know, if you want to say even Christian, for lack of a better way of saying, Christian religions, cults, who will confess Jesus, but they won't confess him as Christ. Because if they confess him as Christ, now they have to confess him as the one who has come from God as the anointed one to be savior of the world. And so there were a lot of people who will stand up and say, Jesus was a good man. I believe in who Jesus was. I believe that even possibly he was a messenger, a prophet of God, but they will not confess him as the Christ. Because as the Christ, now it puts him in a defining place as being the Savior, the anointed one from God who's been brought into the world to bring salvation to mankind. So that's a very important little detail to think about because some people will say, well, they confess Jesus. But do they confess him as the anointed Savior? Four characteristics of the Antichrist that come kind of out of, well, this passage and, and out of 1 John 4. First of all, it's interesting, the Antichrist, you could say, begins in association with the church. It's interesting that he says here, they went out, in verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. It's an interesting thing to think about. Many of the Antichrist, or the spirit of the Antichrist, or, or even the Antichrist that's going to come, is going to have an air of faith, air of religion with them. The second thing, like I say, they're going to deny that Jesus is the Messiah. 1 John Verse 22, 2 and 22. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus? Think... Think about that with what I just said. Who is a liar but the one who denies that Jesus is what? The Christ. Okay? That's the issue. Not so much whether Jesus, nobody actually, anybody who's intelligent will not deny that Jesus came because history records his coming. Okay? Natural, physical history, you know, people know that Jesus lived, Jesus walked the face of the earth. But do they look to him as the Christ? 
That is, that is not up for debate. That is not something that can be reasoned with. You know, just let, let me give you some quick examples. You know, like Jehovah's Witness, they believe that he was the, the archangel Ma Michael. Mormons, they believe that he was some sort of spirit child uh, between the Father and Mother in heaven. Some think that Jesus is just some sort of consciousness that comes. Some suggest that Jesus did not come to be crucified or die, but that when he died, it was a mistake by God, or it was a mistake that happened, and that now the reason the Bible talks about Jesus coming back again, or the Messiah coming back again, is because the first Messiah was mistakenly killed, and so God has to send another Messiah into the world. So any, anybody that denies that Jesus is the Christ, okay, anyone who denies that Jesus is the Christ, we can say they went out from us, but they are not of us. In denying Jesus as the Messiah, they deny the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Father and the Son is the Antichrist. Verse 23, no one who denies the Son has the Father. If you look right after that, the one who confesses the Son has the Father. And remember, it's confessing the Son as Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, as the Messiah. Okay? In, in, in 1 John 4 and 3, it says, it, it, the, the denying that the Messiah has come, every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come is the spirit of the Antichrist. Which means, which tells me a little bit about this. Since there's an association of the church, or, or there's been some sort of association that appears with the church, or some sort of relationship to that, uh, it, it, it often will look like that the, the work of the Antichrist will follow or come alongside the presentation of the gospel. Wherever the gospel is preached, there's going to come behind it, or there's going to become an attempt behind it, of the spirit of and the Antichrist to come and draw away. That is why, church, I want us to be warned today a little bit. As we press into the things of God, as we press into Jesus Christ, as we look for God to work in our lives and in work in our church, do not be surprised when people come in with some crazy thoughts and ideas. Because I'll tell you something, the devil is out to kill, steal, and destroy, and he's out to destroy those places, those ministries, those church churches that are preaching the gospel. It is interesting. You look through the life of Christ. You look through the Galatians and Ephesians, and, and you look through the epistles and all that sort of thing. You know, where the gospel was preached, it seems there, there was always a, an attempting of an infiltration of another gospel to come in and draw people's attention and hearts away from the true gospel to be deceived and follow a false gospel. That's why Paul warns the preachers of the church and says, you know, beware of the wolves that come in. Because wherever the gospel is preached, there's going to be coming, 
There's going to be the coming of a wolf to come in and, and bring destruction. The wolf doesn't need to go where the gospel is not being preached. Just a thought, because sometimes people will come and say, Pastor Chad, do you know what this person believes? Don't be surprised. We've had it already, a few. The motive or the reason or the goal behind the Antichrist is, is really supreme rebellion, which originates with Satan himself. This is an interesting passage of Scripture to read. Isaiah chapter 14 and verse 12 and 15, it says, and you can mark these down or, like I say, I'll, I'll try to send out all my scriptures uh, this week so you can have them. Um, five statements that Satan made, beginning with two words, I will. It says there in Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 15, how are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground, you who weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, the first one, I will ascend into heaven. Second one, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. Third one, I will sit also on the mount of the congregation in the recesses of the north. Fourth one, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Fifth one, I will be like the Most High. That's the, that's the whole motivation of the Antichrist. That's the whole motivation of the spirit of the Antichrist. Is I will. I will exalt myself. I will reign and rule. I will be above or be equal to God. It's interesting. He says all of these things, I will, I will, I will. But look at verses 15. It says, yet you shall be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Here's the result. 16. Those who see you shall stare at you and ponder over you and think, this, is this the man who made the earth to tremble and shook kingdoms, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners. There is going to come a day when people are going to look upon Lucifer, when they're going to look upon Satan, and they're going to say, is this the one? Is this the one that so frightened us? Is this the one who so shook the nations? Is this the one that we were scared of? Because when you compare him to Almighty God, listen, it's not even comparing an ant to an elephant. Understand that. There is no comparison to God. Satan has nothing. He has literally nothing to compare himself to God. So many people are so worried about what Satan is doing in this world that they do not understand what God's doing. We get so fixated on the devil. 
We get so worried about him, so scared of him. You know, some people are so scared. Christians are so scared that they won't, won't walk through their house at night in the dark. Because they're scared the boogeyman's going to get them. I like, I, like, I like the story of Smith Wigglesworth. If you ever read him, he's, a good, he's good to read. One night he was lying in his bed, sleeping. Devil, devil literally came into his room, I guess stood at the end of his bed or sat in the corner, something like that. Smith Wigglesworth woke up, looked over, oh, it's just you, and went back to sleep. <laughs> yeah, that's it. It's just you. Listen, even in this day and age, and I understand the difficulties that people are facing and all the hardships that people are facing, even in this day and age, I want you to understand, God is in control. The politicians may think they're in control, but God's in control. The church needs to look out and say, oh, it's just you. Well, we aren't worried about you. And so that's his goal. He's, he's, I will, I will ascend, I will exalt, I will sit above high, I will, I will be like the most high. Think about that when you think about the contrast to who Jesus and how Jesus walked the earth. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says it to us, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, and he was made in the likeness of men, and being found in the form of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Notice the difference. One's pride, one's humble. And by the way, that is a great test for leadership, leadership in the church. Someone who wants to call themselves Christ, someone who wants to call themselves the Messiah, someone who wants to make claims, someone who wants to be looked at and exalted, guess where that's coming from? It's not coming from Christ. It's interesting. We saw the result of what happens to, to Satan in that the world or people are going to look upon him and say, is this the guy? Look at the result of what takes place in Jesus' life. Verse 9, therefore God highly exalted him and gave him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Lucifer reached for equality with God and he fell. Jesus, being equal with God, humbled himself and his Father exalts him. This is the true spirit of Christ, which is in the mind that Paul says we should have. It comes as the spirit of Christ living in us, works in us, and brings it forward. 
let me encourage you this morning a little bit, a little bit off topic. Some would think, or sometimes we wait in life, and I've been there. I've been there. You know, for, for, for and I, I, I know my dad's not here, but I know he, he would. I worked under him for 30 years. Worked under my father for 30 years. People would come, Chad, where do you get your own church? And there was times, I'll, I'll admit, there was times I was like, God, you know, you know the heart that I have. I want, I, not that I don't like working with my dad. Dad's great to work with. He let me do pretty much whatever I wanted. But there was times in my heart, I was like, God, when are you going to, when are you going to give me the opportunity to lead my own church? When are you going to give me that opportunity? And sometimes we wait. Sometimes we think that we should be doing things in ministry. Sometimes we feel that we have gifts and talents. Sometimes we, 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 we just, like, we want so much to do the things that God has called us to do. But I would encourage you this morning is that let God be the one who exalts you. Let God put you in the place that he has for you. You know, as we get into trouble, Oftentimes people get into trouble when they exalt themselves and try to push the agenda of God that they feel they're called to. And the fact of the matter is that if God has instilled gifts and talents and abilities in your life, and if God has called you to do something that in his time, in his place, he will open the door as you walk humbly before him and let him work it out in your life. I can think back and say, you know what, at the age of 40, I thought I was ready. I probably wasn't. Praise God. He works. Satan wants to rebel. Satan wants to uh, bring this, this level of exalting himself and his his one ambition in that is to receive worship it's interesting in matthew chapter 4 you know the the, the the temptations of christ the final temptation satan comes to jesus and he offers him all the power and all the glory and all the political fame if you want to say if he would just fall down and worship him all of these kingdoms will be yours Jesus refused. The true Christ refused. But you know what? The false Christ will agree. Revelation 13 verse 4 says, They worship the dragon who gave authority to the beast. The false Christs will worship Satan in order to receive the whole world. One of the main tools that the enemy uses is obviously deception. Let me give you some verses. Colossians 2, verse 8. Beware lest anyone captivate you through philosophy and vain deceit in the tradition of men and the elementary principles of the world and not after Christ. 
interesting. Lest beware unless someone captivates you through philosophy and vain deceit in the tradition of men and elementary principles of the world. 2 Timothy 3 verse 1 says, Know this, in the last days perilous times will come. And he goes down to verse 13, he says, But evil men and seducers will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. Jesus on the Mount of Olives said, you know, when the disciples came to him and said, tell us the sign of your coming in the end, he says, take heed that you're not deceived. In verse 24 of that chapter, he says, For false Christs and false prophets will arise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. Satan's main tool is deception. That's his main tool. He wants to deceive people. Sorry, I'm just a little bit dry this morning. And, and we are seeing that in the world today. We're seeing this deception take place in the world today. And, and by the way, it's even infiltrating the church. And, and one of those things is the, the secular humanism that we're seeing come into the world. and Well, it's been in the world for a long time. And we're even seeing it in, in the church, a worldview that is largely, largely, I know there's a whole gamut and a whole range, but a largely atheistic you know, based on, on nature, you know, nothing exists beyond this physical world and universe. You know, that's why they talk about evolution. By the way, evolution, no matter what you believe, no matter what Christians will say and try to promote it as something that it speaks of in the Bible, listen, evolution is a demon's theology, okay? If there, and, and it, because if there's no supernatural, then there's the life, and including human life, is simply a natural phenomenon, and not, that's not the case. God said, and he said, I took and formed Adam out of the dust of the ground, and I breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. But you see, when you negate or you relegate or you take man and make him simply a, a, some sort of glorified animal, suddenly things like abortion, suddenly things like euthanasia can happen, and it doesn't mean anything. You know, we see it even in the moral codes. God doesn't exist, and therefore, he, you know, nobody can establish an absolute moral code. Human beings can do whatever they want, make up their rules. Morality is discovered. It is not made. That's why they try to eliminate God, because as soon as you believe in God, you're responsible. As soon as there's God, and as soon as there's a supreme being of power that reigns above us, suddenly we become responsible. That's why today there's this whole idea of telling someone they are wrong or sinful is intolerant. And it's, it's, it's quite incredible that that intolerance cannot be tolerated. <laughs> That's why we see it in the world today. If you don't agree with my lifestyle, if you don't agree with me, you don't love me. That's so far from the truth. That's so far from even just 
You want to just talk about natural logic? But this deception has come into the world, and this deception has even come into the church. It's being promoted by the church. It's being promoted by pastors. It's being promoted by people who call themselves Christians. They'll take and say the Bible is antiquated in some areas, that some of these things only applied to or 4,000 years ago, that God kind of, well, he meant to say this. That's why at the beginning, when we do that little thing, God says what he means, and he means what he says, because we need to understand, when he says it, he means it. That's why you even see it. You know, that's why, why Paul in his letter to Timothy says that, you know, in, in, in the last days, they're going to have a form of godliness, but deny its power. There is a form of godliness in our world today. A, a godliness that says we're good, that we're, we love people, that, that we care about people, that, that we, are, we are so, you know, that, that even if there was a God, that this is how he would react and respond. But, it, but, but understand, Paul said about this, turn away from such. Don't listen to them. Paul's or Saul, or Satan's, not Saul, Satan's main deception or tool is deception. On the other hand, the Bible sets apart a standard. And he, how does it all start? What's the first couple of words in the Bible? In the beginning, God. That's where it all starts. That's why Psalmist says, The fool has said in his heart, There is no God. And because he says, they, they say there is no God. They, he says they are corrupt and they do abominable deeds. There is none which does good. Listen, the things that you see in the world today, don't be surprised at. Because when we say there's no God, we're going to do abominable deeds. We're going to be corrupt. Don't be surprised by it. I mean, it, it can grieve your heart. I'm not saying don't let it grieve your heart, don't let it impact your life, but don't be surprised by it. That's why Hebrews 11, you know, a verse I love, without faith is impossible, please God. But what's the first thing he says? For, it, for he who comes to God what must what? First believe that he exists. That's why the, one of the purposes of the church is found in Romans 10, 14 and 15, is that we're be to be called a candle, a light, and we talked about it a couple of weeks back, but it says, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring good news of good tidings. Listen, we are called to be preachers and lights in this world today. That's another message. All right, the only safeguard, one of the only safeguards in this day against the spirit of Antichrist comes out of 2 Thessalonians, verses 2, 8 to 10, and then verses 13 to 17. 
Let me read it. Then the lawless one will be revealed. Who's the lawless one? The main Antichrist, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and will destroy with the brightness of his presence. Imagine, the lawless one can't even stand up to the breath of God. I mean, that's incredible. Even him who is coming is in accordance with the working of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all deception of unrighteousness among those who perish because, here's the key, because they did not receive the love for the truth that they might be saved. Verse 13 goes to say, But we are bound to always give thanks to God for you, beloved brothers of the Lord, because God has from the beginning called you to salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief of the truth. To this he called you by our gospel to obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold the traditions which you have been taught, whether by word or by letter. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and has given us eternal consolation and good hope through grace, comfort your hearts and establish you in every good and good word and work. There's a lot in there. What I want to get at is the, the, basically a couple things. First of all, they were deceived. The first group was deceived because they didn't love the truth. You and I must have a love for the truth, which means you and I must have a love for the Word of God and the things of God. We're going to get that in a minute in a little bit more. Secondly, we have to stand firm. Listen, today's not a day for weak, wobbly Christians. And I'm telling you right now, and just encouraging you, if your knees are weak and wobbly right now, do some exercise. Because the days are not going to get better. I know God's in control. I know God is faithful. I know God is good. But listen, the devil is ramping up the things in this world, and God says, know this in the last days, perilous times will come. There is a clashing that is happening in our world supernaturally, behind the scenes, spiritually. And let me tell you something, it's going to get worse. That is, I know people, well, don't tell me that. I'm telling you it because you need to be prepared. And you need to be ready to stand firm. And how do we stand firm? But we stand in Christ Jesus. That's why I even said and, and started last week when we talked about even the health of our bodies. The, the first one is this, you know, knowing that if you die, guess what? You're going to heaven. For a Christian, death is not a bad thing. Just saying. So stand firm. Another one that he said, you know, notice here, hold to the traditions that you've been taught. In one sense, Paul said to them that they were holding to the traditions of men. But Paul's saying here, hold to the traditions that you've been taught. There are key things within Scripture, key principles, key doctrinal things 
that we must hold to, such as Jesus is the Christ. You know, everybody wants a new revelation. I find that many who want a new revelation can't even tell me what the old revelations are. Paul says, or talks about it here, and actually I guess it's Luke who wrote this, Acts chapter 17, these were there more noble than those in Thessalonica. Interesting. For they, re- I didn't even, I didn't even think of that when I re- talked about Thessalonians. For they received the word with all eagerness, daily examining the scriptures to find out if these things were so. We're talking about the Bereans, the Bereans, right? Examining the scriptures daily, receiving the word with eagerness to find out what if. These things are so. Listen to me very carefully. Examine the scriptures daily. Just because I get up and say something, go find out for yourself if it's true. Don't just accept something because a preacher says it. Don't just accept something because Dr. Reverend so-and-so with the big theology degree who's from the big, you know, ministry or whatever gets up and says something. Understand. Get in the Word of God and examine it yourself. Don't just accept something because it's said by somebody on TV or the Internet. Do you know how much garbage is out there? Don't just accept it because someone's wrote the bestseller book and the whole Christian world is talking about this book and saying this book is life-changing. I'll tell you something. There is only one book that is life-changing, and that is the Bible. Yes, there are some books that can encourage you and build you up and, and strengthen you and give you some insights, but let me tell you something. The greatest book that you should have on your shelf is the Word of God. And if it does not align with Scripture, it does not align with God and should be thrown out and burnt. Don't give it away. Get rid of it and burn it. Don't just accept it because someone seems to have a powerful ministry. Bible said some of these people will come with signs and wonders. Don't accept it just because someone seems so nice and sincere. Oh, this person, they're so peaceful. They just have such the spirit of Christ. They're so loving. But what they say is false. Yeah, but they're so loving.
A lot of people are sincere, and I've said it before. They're sincerely wrong. And sincerely wrong will lead you to hell. God's not going to get, in, you're not going to stand before God, and, you know, when you're standing there and God's, well, why should I let you in? Oh, I'm sincere, Lord. No. He's going to say, I sincerely didn't know you. Don't accept it just because everyone else is following. Examine for yourself. Examine for yourself. Get in the Word of God and examine for yourself the things that are being taught. Examine what I'm saying. I have no difficulty. In fact, I, I love it when I get challenged. To a point, like, I mean, some people are just obnoxious and annoying, okay? Let, let's be, let, let me put that little disclaimer in there for a moment. But I have no problem when someone comes to me and has a question and says, Pastor Chad, I just don't get this, or I disagree, or, you know what? Let's examine the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures say. Examine the Scriptures for yourself. Receive the Word of God with all eagerness, and daily examine the Scriptures to find out if these things are so. Last verse, 2 Timothy 2, 14 to 17. You'll notice the verse in there, but uh, verse 15 is something we're familiar with, but it says, remind them of these things. Paul is telling Timothy, remind them of these things, commanding them before the Lord that they do not argue about words, which leads to nothing of value and to the destruction of those who hear them, but study to show yourself approved by God a workman who not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but avoid profane, foolish babblings. I'm just about babbling myself there. But avoid profane, foolish babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness, and their word will spread like gangrene. So first thing, don't argue over foolish things that have no value. You know what? Sometimes in the church we get so caught up by, by things. We get so caught up by foolish things. Things that have no value. Sometimes we are so caught up by having to be right, by needing to be heard, by making our opinions known about everything. And usually it leads to no benefit. It's interesting, he said, avoid foolish babblings. Basically, foolish babblings lead to more ungodliness. And it says there that it spreads like gangrene or it brings disease and death. Can I tell you something? I mean, I know I gave you a couple of little examples today. But you don't need to know what everybody else's, you don't need to know what everyone believes in order to combat it. You don't need to know all the false beliefs out there. You don't need to know what everyone else believes that is wrong in order to combat it. Some people say, well, i got to know everything. Listen, all you need to know is the light. 
Darkness cannot comprehend or overwhelm the light. When you know the light, you will immediately recognize darkness. And when you know the light, you will immediately have the tools necessary in order to combat darkness. Some people spend all their, Christians spend all their time looking and knowing, and you know, I know there's some individuals who seem that's their calling or gifting in something, but so many Christians want to know everything about what this group believes and everything about what this group believes and everything about that group believes. And it's like, why? It doesn't help you. In fact, Bible talks about it that it leads to more ungodliness and it spreads like gangrene. Because here's what I find about it. People start getting into those thoughts and ideas. And it doesn't bring up righteousness. It doesn't bring up Christ living in their lives. It just leads to death and foolishness. The greatest way to combat darkness is by shining a light on it. And he says, study the word, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's our responsibility. Study to show yourself approved by God, a workman who needs not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. You know, in this day and age, you are going to want to walk strong. If you're going to want to walk in a place of power and authority, if you're going to want to walk in a place of confidence, if you're going to want to stand firm, you will need to know the Word of God. Not just, you know, my opinion of it, not just you know, some other pastor's opinion of it, you're going to have to know it and have your own understanding of it. So I, I close with that. Know God's Word. Study God's Word. Rightly divide God's Word. Spend time in his word each and every day. You know, understand what his word promises you. Understand what his word guarantees you. Understand the strength that his word gives you. 